Welcome to Latinos Who Thrive, the podcast that celebrates the stories of Latinos and Latinas who are making a significant impact in their fields and communities. I am your host, Victor Escalante, and together we do a deep dive into the journeys, triumphs, and experiences of these extraordinary individuals. Latinos have been an integral part of shaping the culture, industries, and our society, yet our stories often go untold and unheard. This podcast aims to change that narrative by amplifying the voices of Latino trailblazers, showcasing their resilience, determination, and passion. Each episode, we bring you engaging conversations with remarkable individuals from diverse backgrounds, including artists, entrepreneurs, activists, scientists, educators, and many more. We explore their unique paths to success, the challenges they faced, and the invaluable lessons they learned along the way. Our guests share the pivotal moments that shaped their journeys, from their upbringing in Latino communities to the inspiration they draw from their heritage. We'll uncover the stories behind their achievements, shedding light on the untold stories of those who have thrived against all odds. Through thought-provoking discussions and captivating anecdotes, Latinos Who Thrive aims to empower, inspire, uplift listeners of all backgrounds. Whether you're a young professional seeking guidance, a parent looking for stories to inspire your children, or simply someone eager to explore the rich tapestry of Latino excellence, this podcast is for you. Join us in this remarkable journey as we honor the contributions of Latino visionaries, discover the strength of their stories, and celebrate the vibrant and diverse tapestry that the Latino community is. This week, we have special guest Elvia Quintanilla. Elvia is a first-generation Mexican-American, the only Latina her age to own a trade school here in Houston. Founder of Texas Technical Trade School with over 10 years of experience in business leadership and management, with additional experience in workforce development and higher education. So let's get on with it. And now we have Elvia Quintanilla. Elvia, welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. Hi, how are you guys? Thank you for having me. Elvia, tell us about your background. Where are you from? Where were you born? And how you got to where you are? Well, I'm Mexican-American. I am very 50-50 Mexican-American, I would say myself, because I'm still very in root with my you know, Mexican side. And But I grew up my whole life here in America. So I always say I'm 50-50, very strong in my roots of both. I was born in Houston, Texas. But I was raised pretty much majority of my time in Mexico. We would go back and forth from Tamaulipas, um, by Hermoso. And that's pretty much where all my childhood I, you know, was from. But when I started school, I lived in Brownsville. I lived in Houston, living for words. Different places in Texas, we moved around a lot. Life wasn't a straight shot for, for our, our family. And we would move where my dad would get work. You know, before work, I mean, he was in like industrial and trades like that. So that's pretty much my, you know, a little bit of my upbringing and how I grew up. I come from a family of four sisters, no brothers. I'm the second oldest, really amazing sisters. I have a sister that's older than me and she's captain in the military. And it's myself, a sister that's about to graduate as an architect from University of Houston. And then I have two younger sisters that are trying to find their way, seeing what they want to do with their life. So my parents come from as well from Mexico, and we. I'm not come. I don't come from a family that is very educated, but very hard work. 
that's very something that we always got instilled in us. Grit, hard working, persistence, and, you know, being humble. So that's a lot of the things that we have here. We know that hard work is necessary in order to thrive. However, there's a lot of Latinos that work very hard. In fact, they slave away at a business or at a job, and they have very little to show for it. Obviously, there's other factors involved that lead to having a success and having it all. And of course, you have a lot to say about that because you are the owner of a tech training company, which you're going to tell us. But I want to ask you this question. How do you think growing up in Mexico impacted your adult life? Was that a good thing or was that a negative thing that somehow you feel that created some sort of incongruency in you? Oh, it definitely impacted me for the better big time. I would never change that about my life because it showed me exactly what life is for a lot and how blessed we are as being American, not just Mexican. We get both best of both worlds and how we shouldn't take it lightly. To me, it was always like my parents came here. They worked so hard for us to not do anything with our lives. It would be just an insult to them, you know? And I think a lot of our kids, a lot of us that are generation, we don't understand that. We don't, our parents didn't really want us to see the struggle because they always want to protect us from everything that we do not value it and, and see like, hey, you know, look at everything that we left behind. This is why we're here. We should do something with our life. Why wouldn't you do something with your life? You know, so I think that that is a reason I am the woman that I am today because of everything that my parents did expose me to as far as seeing my uncles and my aunts, how they work so hard. And even because they work so hard, they still would never be able to get anything because it's so different over there. The dollar, you know, a day and people think it's so far fetched, but it's real. And we lived it firsthand and I would see how happy they were with so little. So it puts things in perspective. So it definitely made me the woman that I am. And I think that that, that is what, you know, that's why I fight so hard for my people and to let young people know with the traits that I have through education. I do it through education is I tell them and I advocate and I say, hey guys, remember where you came from. Remember where your parents came from and why you're here and what life is going. Don't get sidetracked. We are all sidetracked. And get into a trade, get into any type of high demand education. That's going to help you get out of this poverty, help your parents, help yourself, and not have to depend on anybody. Did you go to college? I went to college twice and dropped out twice just because I was a single mom. And I got pregnant at 18. And I wanted to go to college. I always wanted to, you know, I love learning and I always loved education. But my life, you know, was a little different. I knew that I, I couldn't. So I did a lot of reading. I tried online school. But I'm more of a hands-on training person. That's why my school is the same way. So I learned a lot of how my school is now is what made me not be in school. Now I try to avoid those things. And I think that's why we have such a success rate of graduates with us. Because my story and where I came from, I've been everything that I faced as a young adult in school and how I was treated, I try not to have that so they can be more welcome and inclusive. So you became a mother at an early age. How did that affect you? Well, my, well, of course, with my childhood where, you know, growing up everywhere, my parents were, you know, they were the greatest parents they could be at the time. You know, they had a lot of 
issues between both of them. So we would bounce a lot, you know, around. So that was my childhood until I was, you know, 16 is whenever my parents moved to Houston, back to Houston. And I was already a junior in high school my whole life in, um, living in Fort Worth. So, of course, I didn't want to come to Houston and, and graduate my last year here. Um, and they had put me in Milby. And that was a total shock to me because school in Fort Worth and school in Houston was a lot different. Even though my school, there was no underserved. Houston's underserved communities a lot more, you know, that I that I imagined. So when I went back to Fort Worth, I graduated. I stayed there. And I've got with my high school sweetheart at 17. You know, we thought we figured everything out. We got married, had a kid at 18. And of course, we were young. We didn't know what we were doing. So we ended up separating at 23. And that's when I got to Houston. And I was a single mom, you know, from 23 on to now, still a single mom. But it made me the mother that I am today. Everything that I've experienced, which has been hard, I've used it to learn because, you know, it is hard and it is sometimes it gets very lonely, but I always saw my son. I always saw, you know, well, I'm not going to be another statistic. I'm not going to be another crazy baby mama. I'm not going to be another crazy, you know, depending on, on the government, not saying that I never did. I did too, but I got out of it because we can't. And that's what people don't understand that we can help each other. We can depend on something and we can but we can always strive for more and more and more. But when you become depressing, that's where that's where I try to help people understand. Like, All right. So you are the founder and owner of a technical training school. Texas Technical Trade School. Tell us about how you got started in creating this school. Well, when I got here at 23, I was, again, I went to my nearest workforce. And that's where they said, oh, you can go get a job. They find new jobs. So from there, they sent me to a school, which was the school I started at, which was formerly known as Houston School Carpentry. And that school is where I started as a customer service rep. I was 23 at the time. They told me, oh, this is a job. You have customer service. Go interview. I interviewed, got got the job. And I loved it. Once I figured out, like, we're helping people learn about trades, learn about getting into higher education. And not only are they going to go to school, there's... You know, the state of Texas is going to pay for it because they're underserved or because there's a high demand. I started really like, we don't, I don't know about this. Thing. This is pretty cool. So I devoted myself to the job a little bit more and more. And I started seeing, you know, that I like this because I was like helping people. So I got really good at it. My employer, my boss saw that I was, you know, very well at what I do. I like talking to people and I'm very good at what I do. So she's like, hey, you know what? I know you're going to school, but I really want you to take this serious. I want you to become my second hand. And I was like, sure, you know. So I just kept ascending, ascending. And I, 2020, I was the assistant director for the school. I've been already there nine years. And unfortunately, it changed within the vision of the owner and how the school was. And it wasn't about helping people anymore. And I've always been about helping people. And I was getting paid very, very well, the most I've ever made in my life. But again, it was about people, and I've always been about helping people. And I resigned. COVID brought up the ugly end, and position was completely lost. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I resigned. And it was a very hard thing for me because 
that school has started here before I started with it. So I so when I started, I started with maybe 90 students in enrollment because I was in admission. And when I left as assistant director, we were already enrolling about 800 students per year. And wow. that it was under my control, under as far as my director, my being the director, under, you know, I had 30 staff members. I had teachers in different departments. I had, we had, we were a federal school. We were a veteran school. We were a state school. And all of that I learned while on the job. So it was the perfect for me, it was perfect because now we're looking back, I know that I learned and that's the silver lining. I have my business for it now because I learned, I got in there and I, I was, you know, pretty much just doing it all. He just wanted to, you know, collect the money and that was fine with me. But whenever things were not really put back to the community, put back to our students is whenever I was like, okay, things are getting out of hand. This is not the vision. This is not why I'm working. It's not just make people, you money is to make people change their life, get an education, and make money at the same time. You know? So when that happened in 2020, I resigned. It was hard, but I told myself either I get out and I try for myself, see if I can do a school because I had saved some money. I just go to work for somebody else and I become a director because I have the background for it. I have a really good resume. I have a good reference. Everybody that knows me in the street knows that you know, I'm a woman of my word. And thank God, you know, six months later, no, eight months later, I was able to get approved um, for school. And that's when things really started getting interesting because I thought that was the hardest part, but it was just beginning of my third year. Okay. And that's where I have my school now. So you have hard work as part of your ethic. You were doing a lot of things that were right to grow that school exponentially. What were you doing in 2020 hindsight that you were able to grow that, that organization? And when I was at that organization? Yes. My thing is my love for learning. I've always loved, when I like the subject, I like to know everything there is about it. So when I gravitate to something that I like, it's really like I just read about it, I find out about it, and I'm a people person. So I feel like me just diving in and really like figuring out how these grants work, how they're connected, why they qualify for it or why they're in demand really put, I was able to tell like a, like a um, story to, to my students and letting them know, put it together for them where they don't get confused. And for that, we were better for it. We were able to grow. We were able to talk to, you know, different companies and different employers on how they benefit of working with our students. So, I think it's just really caring about what you do and knowing about your subject in your industry. And if you're in a service industry, then really wanting to do that service. Why do you think being curious, and in your case, in, intensely curious, is a necessary skill set in order to succeed and thrive? Because when you know your subject or your industry so well, nobody can tell you how or who you should do business with, you would know. So in our, in my end, I can know in this business, I know how I work with the kids in the private sector. And, you know, I know how to work in a nonprofit sector, not, not nonprofit sector. And it, we, we're with HISD. And, and it's, I found out that is because there's times in my, when I got this business, we, I thought that once you're in state school, okay, you know, you're able to help more in the community. The scholarship people and no, there's 
rules and regulations that you have to be in place for a certain time of in, in the business before you can even qualify for any type of assistance for your community. That I didn't know that as a, as a director of a school. I know that as an owner of a school now. And that was a big blow to my financial plan and for my business plan because I didn't have investors. I didn't have a capital. Nobody wanted to, you know, go in there with a, with a 20, you know, well, at the time a 30 year old with not a great credit because I had messed up my credit with trying to get loans to the school and with no business, you know, before I didn't have any business, nobody wants to take a chance on me. So it was very, very hard, but you know, we're here now. It was a lot of grit. <laughs> what sort of training did you start out offering when you opened up your school? I started with electrical. And the reason why is because I had some great teachers that I already knew that I had to develop some great. And they were like, okay, we see your vision. We want this industry. We want more information. And that was the, to me, I just want to start with one program. Because the more programs you start with, the more it's going to cost. So I didn't, again, didn't have the capital. So I had to be, with the money I had saved, I had to do the both. Almost I can with it. And I started with one program, a teacher that I knew that was understood my vision and mission and knew that, you know, I don't come from money. I don't come from, I don't have all this capital. If you're willing to help me, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, if you're willing to understand my vision, I'm willing to help you when I'm there and actually give you the wages that you deserve. And that was just what happened. I was blessed and people to see my vision. How was your electrician certificate program different than others that are in the marketplace? Someone like, they say, compared to a community college. Well, we are very heavy and hands-on. So I can only say what we do, but I can I can definitely vouch and we have data to prove that we have programs that are very interactive. We have 100% completion audited numbers by the state of Texas and a 90% placement. So that means that something that we're doing is right because of a lot of, you know, our competitors, unfortunately, they're not able to get those numbers. And what we are doing that is successful is we really get to know our students one-on-one. I do from the, from the very beginning in their missions. If you did not want to be an electrician, then you don't need to be in this school. This is not a hobby. This is for you to go to work. We talk to them with that expectation because again, this is not a school where they can just do a hobby. It, unless they're going to be out of pocket. If you're not out of pocket, it's your money. You do whatever you want. But if you come in with a state grant, which is working grants for you to go to work, they're expecting you to go to work. So we put that expectation there and they're able to understand that and be better for it because, again, they're going to be more coachable. They know that they want to learn because they want to earn. And that's our slogan. And now how big is your enrollment after several years of being in business? Well, we started in 2020 as far as the school, but I didn't get approved for the school. It's, we have one full year just last month in April. We, we were one full year in the state. So we started with five students as far as our first cohort. But last year, we trained about 40 students. And this year, we are already at 60 students and we're already in our first quarter. Are you expanding to have other certificate programs or are you still sticking to electrical? Yes, we're actually working. So we're my my thing is I'm employer based because if there's an employment sector out there for the students to go to work, then I will have, have a training for it because I know that they're gonna go to work for it. So if there's no employers wanting to employ students, then to me it's not relevant for me to train in because again, 
if these students are not going to work after these certificates, then I'm not doing my job successfully. So we are adding HVAC because we have the demand and have the employer partnership. And we are working with employers to um, work in, in the sector of in the project management as well. And hopefully they're putting in my ear about electronics and, and, and plumbing. But again, my need is always saying, okay, if there's training dollars for my students to be scholarship and if there's employees for them to go to work, then I'm all for giving the training space. Okay. And how many students have you been able to graduate since opening? This year, we've graduated already 30. Last year, we graduated 40. And then we have right now in class about 20, 20 something in class current that are going to be graduating in the next three to six weeks. And I take it that all your students are basically, they have jobs waiting by the time they're, they graduate. Majority of them do. So we work with different students. We work with anybody that's 17 and older, has a high school diploma or GED. And if you don't have one, you know, you're able to take an aptitude test with us because we're a trade school. But any of the students, depending on if they have any obstacles, it takes a, lo- a little longer for them to get a place and we cover them whenever they come in. But we do work with them and they do get placed within, I would say, no more than three months. But that's for a student that doesn't have transportation, doesn't have child care assistance, doesn't, you know, doesn't have a cleanest background. They understand that. They know they still can get into the field and we work with them and we have wraparound services for them. But a student that comes either pays out of pocket, already has construction background, has a car, has a driver's license, doesn't have those obstacles, it's pretty much going to get either picked up right after high school or before they graduate. It just depends on those things. You're listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Elvia Quintanilla. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. ¿Estás buscando el auténtico sabor de México aquí en Houston? No busques más que Fonda Santa Rosa, el restaurante que ha estado sirviendo deliciosa comida casera mexicana por más de 10 años. Desde fajitas de carne, mole poblano, puntas de res al chipotle, puntas de res a la mexicana, plato chipaneco, chuletas de cerdo en salsa verde y mucho más Fonda Santa Rosa tiene algo para todos. Así que ya sea que estés buscando una comida abundante con familiares y amigos o una celebración, Ven a Fonda Santa Rosa y experimenta los sabores de México aquí mismo en nuestro propio comedor. Visítanos hoy en Facebook o Instagram para ver toda la selección de platillos. Fonda Santa Rosa, donde cada comida es una fiesta. When I return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Elvia Quintanilla. How long is your electrician's program? We have a, an eight-week program for the day class and a 12-week program for our evening classes. We have classes Monday through Thursday. And again, they're 200 hours and they're heavy hands-on. So 80% of it is hands-on, residential and commercial. Are there women getting into your certificate programs? Definitely. I'm a very big advocate about women in construction. I've met, I'm part of many organizations that advocate for women in construction like National Women in Construction chapter. And I go and speak about the great things about being in the trades, how in, uh, for women 
in the skilled trade sector in construction is one of the highest paying as far as compared to dollar, like 90 cents to the, to the whole dollar that they get in equal pay. So if they are interested in it, if they are phonetically inclined and they enjoy it, trades is where it's at and they should definitely do it because employers are looking for more women in the field. Construction, it's, it's heavy. They're wanting more women. What percentage of your students are Latinos? I would say about 70% majority are Latinos that we have. I would say my demographic of students is majority young adults. 70 to 24 year olds are a very big demographic and they keep referring each other's friends. And we just keep getting a demand with young adults, which is great because there's a lot of the generation that I'm trying to help because a lot of them don't want to go to college, can go to college, don't have the money and we can help if they're kinetically inclined and they want to do this type of field. And I would say from the 70 to 24 demographic that we have, I would say 70% are Hispanic, 20% African-American, and then the other 10% are others. And as far as the source of women, I only have about 10% of that being women. And all of them are um, uh, that women that I have have been Hispanic so far. So I'm trying to, like I said, reach out to all demographics of um, all underserved communities that feel like this is something that they want to do, all women, all men that think, hey, this is something I want to do, or that are unemployment and they want to change careers and want to, you know, want to get into something that is in demand and it's never going to go in demand, out of demand. You know, that's how, that's our client right there. So tell us, why should Latinos consider a short-term certificate program not only with you or maybe other schools out there, as opposed to pursuing a college degree? This is something that I was, when I go talk to high school, I thought, if you're wanting to be a doctor, if you're wanting to be a lawyer, if you're wanting to be an accountant, you definitely should go to college. You definitely should look into, you know, what's the best program for you in a uh, college or university. But if you already know you like construction, you're going to be in any type of trade in construction or, you know, anything that is, uh, trade like cosmetology, lobotomy, LNs, electricians, HVAC, plumbing, any of that, then college is not your best return of investment. It might be, it might be a great college, but for what you're doing, a certificate base is not usually your best return investment for your time. So that is one thing that you have to understand. And then what industry are you getting into? So if it is electrical in our case, the reason why you should do a certificate and why you should, do, because anywhere in the state of Texas, wherever you go, you're licensed for apprentice. You cannot go higher than that unless you work. So it's only a $20 license. In the field. We don't give it to you. Most school gives it to you. It's the state of Texas that regulates this Texas Department of Licensing. So it doesn't matter if you pay $20,000 in a college or $5,000 with us. You're still going to get that same license for the regulated state. So that's one thing that students don't understand. So why not just go to a certificate based school at the cost either to zero because you get a grant or to five thousand which is very affordable compared to other schools. You know, take your training and then start working in the field and then go into your journeymanship, to your linemanship, to your master electrician. So in that case, that's why you should do that. But you gotta understand what field you're trying to go into. So be, I can't it's not all the same. I can't say College is not good because that's not true. College is great, but it depends where you're trying to go to. Certificates and trade schools are amazing as well. So I can only speak for these trades. This is why it's so good. 
What is the entry level for an apprentice electrician these days? Going into the field, right, when you start as an apprentice, it's usually 16 to 20. But that's somebody that comes right out of high school, 16 to 20. Usually 18, the, the median we see uh, majority. But if they, if there's, we have students that have already have construction field in the, they have work list certificate, NCCR certificate, other type of relevant certificates. They start making sometimes even 20 to 25. There's some internships that'll take them at 18 and then they'll give them either more training and then after six months they'll be two dollars. So the field is so competitive right now that the, the numbers fluctuate so much and they can run, jump from anything from 16 all the way to 25 to the same position because we had students get 18 and another one get 25 for the same position. That's good money compared to looking for a job in, in exactly. anything that you can get, right? Exactly. So that's why I tell these and I tell these young adults and I let them know, like, look, even if you start at 16, you know the competitive field, how competitive this field is, that in six months you are going to learn a lot more. And you're not going to be green anymore. So why not take it as opposed to taking four months of still looking for work, that really good job that you really want. And you're not picking up those skills. And I think that's what our, our, our kids need to hear because they keep hearing this other, you know, not trying to say that TikTok is the only thing bad. Or that social media is the only thing that no, it's what you look at and how you look at it that is good or bad. But a lot of our kids are hearing that well, you should be getting X, Y, and Z, and this is the prestige you should get as well. And like no, you gotta understand when you're working, you're an apprentice, or when you're going into something new, you gotta start at the bottom. You know, everybody didn't start at the bottom. I started at the bottom. It's sometimes want to go in there being the boss, and unfortunately, you're not gonna get far in the door with that attitude. You might, you know, you can fight all your way through and you're just going to make it harder for yourself. So I tell these guys, I was like, be humble. Know what you know. Don't get taken advantage of. But also know that you're not the expert. You, you got to know how to advocate. You got to pay your dues. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's what I tell these kids. You got to pay your dues. I was like, you, you. the more respectful you are, the more further you get in life. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Do you already offer a master electrician's training? No, we only deal with the apprentice level at the time just because it's the shortest we can do the training and it's the, to help this. It's more, when I had my school in mind, demographic that I was trying to target that I was making my school around was somebody that was underserved. So I know that they can go to school. They don't have the transportation for that. So I'm trying to, when I talk to my our electrical engineer and our master electrician at the program, the program, I told them, you guys have own companies. What is something that you would say that is in this field that they, they absolutely can work for you and that's going to impress you? Let's do that. Because we got to think, I'm thinking for them, right? What is something that absolutely needed that, is gonna, that the employer is going to need, but also the student is going to be relevant for, and they're not going to waste their time from it because this is their chance. A lot of these people, this is their only chance to get out of where they want to be. And they see it like that. I know that there's maybe, you have as many chances as my mentality is, as you want to put out there. But to them, they're not there yet. This might be the only chance they have because they think this is the only chance they have. So if you were an airline, you would be the Southwest Airlines. Yes. <laughs> lean and lean. <laughs> Very simple. Exactly. Get you to, from point A to point B on time with your luggage. Yes, sir. That is exactly what I try to think. I'm trying. Don't waste time. One destination. Let's remove all obstacles. And that's what I do. I'm 
I tell my students, I'm your negotiator, your representative, but be truthful with me. I'm for you, but you got to be truthful. And I think when you tell kids like that, young adults like that, you create a space of them feeling welcome and not judged and know like, hey, you know what? My mom may think that I'm this and this and this, but Ms. Martinez sees this and this and this for me and she knows that I can still make it. And these kids really do appreciate that. They, Some of them, you see them, they're so tough when they come in and they get so excited when they actually can put a circuit and turn a light bulb on. It's a metaphor. We say it in their face. Like that light bulb turns on the light in their face and the light, their education and that little inspiration, it kicks on to. Where do you see yourself and your school in five years? I see myself as being the best trade school there is in the state of Texas as far as the best education hands-on and the most inclusive and diverse school for the employers and for the people. That's what I see myself being in the, in the rural areas where the most education is needed. Are you looking at expanding into other markets and opening up schools there? I don't know about any more industries as far as the ones that we touched on, but definitely other areas. We are definitely looking into it, and I have a lot of other I'm investors that have reached out to me that are in those areas that want to help those communities, and I'm all for it. If it's going to help communities, it's going to create opportunity for people. If it's going to you know impact, then I'm all for it. If it's something that is going to make just money and it's just a business idea, right now I don't have the time for it. I'm, I have time for impact and for community and to build our people right now. To what do you attribute your success as far as where you are presently? I honestly think the only thing I say is I try to think about it is my son. It's the only thing I say and I think about it because a lot of people ask me, like, what made you be this person or get here this far? I I sometimes don't even stop and think. I just got to go, go, go because I've been living in this, you know, in hypertension mode my whole life, you know, trying to get out of where I was trying to get out of, you know, unfortunately my marriage and you know, we're trying to get out of the stereotypical Latina that's a single mom and doesn't have things for herself. Just thinking of those things, I guess, not wanting to be a failure and want to be the best person for my son and him to be proud of has led me to here. I can only say that, you know, my son, but how about, he's about to be 15 next week. And, and that's a big, big accomplishment. Just being him and how proud he is and how, Whenever people tell me who he is and they say your son is so kind, your son is so is such a good person, they're still good and comes from being having grit, from having work ethic, from being humble and from being in roots but still humble. What has been some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your trajectory? People not taking me serious, people looking at me and thinking that I already painting a picture of what I know and don't know. I am, I am young and I'm in a very non-traditional role, which I'm the only, one of the only Latinas I used to help in the trade school in this sector. And, and when you go into a space and you know so much about your industry, it can be intimidating to others and they can already put obstacles to you because of how you look and they think that you don't know. And they're like, Ooh. and, and you have to prove yourself as a, as a Latina and then as a woman in a male dominant field. So, that is what's been the biggest challenge. But I can say me, it fuels me because I've always been that underdog. And in school, I've always been that underdog. I graduated top 10 in my class. My counselors didn't even tell me. They, 
you know, what my route should be or how I can get into a school for free in, in Texas, I'm sorry, um, automatically admission because they didn't believe in me. And I always had that in me. Like, you know what? People don't believe in me, but I can prove with my work. I can prove with my ethics that, you know, I have something to say. And now people do. I now am getting known as a workforce development expert. And I go into spaces and people recognize where I am. They're reaching out for consulting. They're reaching out for, for advising. And that is, to me, everything I would want because I feel like I've been a kid in the field. I've been a business owner now. And I've been a single mom. And I've been also a Latina. And so I can actually tell you how it is and who our demographic is to reach out to and how we can help do better. Because I've been all of that. What are some of the stereotypes that you've had to overcome in being a Latina in a predominantly white field, blue-collar workers, and people in power that don't necessarily think of inclusion, young Latinos or Latinas, into the industry? And that's where my, yeah, I mean, the stereotype is there. Like you said, they don't, sometimes they don't even want to give you the time or the space. So you have to be creative and you have to know your your stuff, like, you know, how your field, in my case, that's why I am so well knowledge in my field, because I never want anybody to tell me how I can go into a space, how I don't know about the space and how I cannot help you or benefit from it. So me, I knew that going in, I was going to be having to prove myself 10 times harder. So I equip myself with, with knowledge. That's the only way that I could get in there was I can offer them something that they don't have insight and knowledge about this field. And that's how I got in. And once they knew who I was and what I can do and that I can improve with work and ethics, then they want to, then they want you there because now you're bringing money to them. Now you're bring, bringing opportunities. So now you're, you know, they start seeing you as part of, of part of what it is. And we know, you know, at the back end that it was hard to get in and the trust that it's like that, but you have to have free. And that's what I'm trying to think about when you're in those spaces where now you have power and now you're able to make more changes. Do it. And that's where you bring inclusion and diversity for our other people that are down there that might not have that grit that I had. And, and they deserve to be there too. I interviewed a lady that started Spanish and English as a second language in her kitchen with like a handful of students. Wow. And her episode is dropping the week of May the 8th. And she's built a business with over $4 million in revenues. Okay. Wow. So I'm sure that you had humble beginnings starting out. So how did you start? Did you start like in a warehouse? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So when I, well, the school that I first worked at, like, again, I, that was the school that I first learned how to develop a school because it was one year in the business. And that school started in really humble beginnings and it became very beautiful. But when I started my school in 2020, June 2020, you know, didn't know anything, of course, of how to own a school. So I just found a warehouse that was going to be the cheapest as far as that I could afford every month. That was going to be dual um, where we can have classes. But it was that had that space for a full year without me getting approved. So that was very that's something that I learned that I did wrong. But yeah, it was in the warehouse. My classes were outside in the warehouse. My students were sweating. We had fans. They knew when before coming, I said, well, this is the school. We're going to make it as realistic as the field. This is not traditional, but we can tell you now that you're going to learn 10 times more what this field is here and be ready for it if you want to. So 
but yes, it was me in one office with not, it was just me and my instructor. No other people. Just he taught the classes. I ran attendance. I ran scholarships. I ran the curriculum, the tests, everything there was to do. And now we are expanded to three warehouses. Now we have six teachers. Now we have, you know, I'm sorry, four teachers and two staff members in admissions. And this is just our first full year. So I know that God is going to take care of us, but but we're getting a really good name with the community and the communities are seeing like how they can come in here. We're getting a lot of contacts with definitely with ISDs that are seeing that, how they can help their students as well. You get students from at-risk schools. There really isn't any help for these kids. Yes, I go to schools like like one of the contacts that we have is one of the underserved schools that is under HISD and they're an academy. So they're a K-12 academy and they have less um, funding resources sometimes. So I go talk to them and it usually is hard when people go to you and tell you, hey, this is how we have money for you, for your students to go to school for free. It's usually like, can you give us money for your students to go to school for free? So they're not used to that. So I, I try to go in there solving solutions with resources that are available already. Okay. What advice would you give to the younger Elvia starting out that if you could go back in time, what would you, what advice would you tell her that could have saved her lots of headaches and lots of heartache in her journey? I would definitely tell myself to stop caring about what people think at an early age in life. Now, I do not care about the wrong advice. Now I care about the people that are, are seeing the same things that I'm seeing, the same mission and vision, the same part, the same work that they, those are the people that I listen to. Not everybody else. Before young Elvie used to listen to everybody's opinion and that put me behind a lot. And you gotta, one thing that I would tell young adults or anybody that's trying to be in business, if you're gonna listen to anybody, where is that person in their life that you're gonna listen to? Is exactly. it somebody that you wanna be with and be who you wanna be like? And if it's not, then be kind and just say thank you. But do not listen to that info because that is just gonna throw you from your, your mission and that vision that you have. There's a reason why God put it in your heart and you're going hard for it. Exactly. So what advice would you give to other Latinas out there that are listening to you? If they're frustrated with their career or their job, what advice would you give them? One advice that a lot of women may not like, but I'm better for it. And I think that a lot of us can be better for it is don't gossip. If you're there for work, work. If you have a mission, work. Because a lot of what we do is, because I've done it, that put me behind is we like to listen to everything else that is not going to help us be constructive. It's not going to help us to be better. If you get somebody that tells you constructive criticism, take it, but be better for it. Don't get offended. And stay, never grow And a lot of what I would take to heart when I was younger was like, like really good ladies that I worked with, they were trying to help me. And I was just a rebellious little girl. You know, I would say little girl because I was so childish in my mind that I would think they're trying to be mean, but they were trying to help me be better and get further in my career. But I was so, you know, oh, no, no, they 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 just jealous. No, sometimes people are wanting to help you. Look at what, you know, advice people give you, again, to the other sense, and then be better for it because Latinas have so much to give in the work field, and they short themselves for it. We do. We short ourselves for it. We have, we're bilingual. 
we're very we multitask very well because a lot of us grow with the brothers and sisters and we have to take care of the household and we don't even have to have kids and we're already doing all these things to help our parents and in our job site it translates very well but we have to not listen to all the distractions and focus and we'll be better for it. Absolutely. A lot of women don't give themselves enough credit because being a mother and being the head of a household at times as a single parent, that's a lot of project management, budgeting, and a lot of workflow expertise to get the job done. So I encourage people to take full and complete ownership of all their talent and be shameless in being proud of who they are and what they know and what they do. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. All right. Any final words, Elvia? No, thank you. And oh, my only advice again is for anybody listening to, to this is wherever you're at, there's always opportunity. There's always a way. It's how much you want it. And there's, you know, there's a will, there's a way. Your information will be in the show notes. So anybody that wants to connect with you or call you up to take uh, training with you, they will be able to do so. Well, thank you so much, Elvia. We look forward to seeing your future success. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. And that's it, my friends. Until next week, go out and thrive this week.